Hey guys, this is Alexis. And this is Tremus. And you're listening to More, More Wine, Wine Please. Please. No peace! I said no justice! No peace! I said no justice! No peace! I said no justice! No peace! I'm Dewanda Farmer and I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. And I came here today with um, thousands of young people ushered in by the mayor of Baltimore who raised private dollars to bring them here because we think it's important for their voices to be heard. We are sorrowful for school shootings across this country and even the one that happened here in Maryland last week. But we live in a city that is wrecked with gunfire and 58 children lost their life in 2017 as 342 people lost their lives to murder in the city of Baltimore. So it is important for our children to have their voices heard here today because they are afraid on the way to school, on the way home from school, after school, at home, at night in their beds as gunfire rings out in the streets of Baltimore. That was from the March for Our Lives, a rally that took place in Washington, D.C. last week in response to the mass shooting in Parkland, Florida. Here's a few more voices. Do you feel like there are two different causes or movements that are happening right now? No, definitely not. I think everything is all intertwined. I think it's less of um, students. Like, I don't think it's like students from Florida versus like everyone else. I definitely don't think it's that. I think it's more or less like the media and how they're constructing constructing and um, and describing the movements that are happening. Uh, Peter Nolton, uh, 40 years old. Uh, I didn't grow up in this country, so I don't kind of understand people's, you know, obsession with guns. And I have a, I have a six-year-old here, goes to school, so obviously it's like a huge issue for us, you know. It's a scary thing. The reason we are here, I'm here with my daughter. We live on the border, but in September we move to Florida, and then we hear about what happened. And we think we have to be up there to solidarity with the people that killed, but also to bring awareness of what is happening at the border. For the first time, this is something that is moving everybody. Because all the time people are being shot on the border, uh, it's on the border, they're probably smugglers, they're Mexican, whatever, who cares, you know? And then you hear the police brutality, and the black people, you know, they probably were not doing the right thing. You know how it is, the people thinking like that, they're not thinking. All of a sudden it touches some people who are like, I guess like the majority of the United States. And they're like, oh my goodness, this can happen to anybody. And it is, it is like that. So we have Davian Morgan here as a guest today on More Wine, Please. He's a graduate from the University of Maryland. What studied... a wonderful school. <laughs> <laughs> he studied criminology, sociology, and anti-terrorism. He also got a master's in educational studies from John Hopkins School of Education and uh-huh. now teaches at Ingenuity Prep Public Charter School in Washington, D.C. Yeah. So, yeah, tell us a little bit about um, your journey and mm-hmm. what you do for work now. Um, so I'm a Washington DC native, grew up in DC, um, and eventually my family moved to Prince George's County, Maryland, primarily because of the school system. Um, DCPS at that time was not living up to the very high standards of my mother, even though my mother and my father both went to DCPS schools. 
Um, but as products of DCPS, they knew that they did not want that for me. So we went to neighboring Prince George's County, which was only 10 minutes away over the border, thinking that that would be a better shot. Um, and in my honest opinion, it was a, it was a step up from what I thought DCPS would have been, but still like being honest, like a pretty mediocre education. Uh, but do you feel like you had a leg up? I feel like I did compared to like if I were if I were in DCPS at that time starting in 1997 I think I was much better off starting in PG County um had a really good elementary school experience middle school was eh, like it is for everyone um and high school is when things really started to like the gears really started to turn in my head um I went to Potomac High School which was the lowest performing high school in Prince George's County and at that time, Prince George's County was the lowest performing county in the state of Maryland. So I went to the lowest performing high school in the entire state of Maryland. Um, and that was just a wake up call. Like, why is this school doing so badly when a school around the corner, Oxon Hill, which is literally in the same exact city, is doing so well? Um, and that's when I think that like this idea of like educational inequity really started to like poke at my brain like hey something's going on right here but at that time I really didn't know um but I looked up ended up getting a full ride scholarship to Maryland um went in as a computer engineering major that didn't last long changed my major again changed it one more time um but by my senior year just still didn't feel like oh this is like what I want to do at this point, I was criminal justice and sociology and minoring in terrorism studies. So I was like, oh, I want to work for like the CIA, the FBI, the DOD. But like by, I remember clearly by like September of my senior year, I knew that that wasn't what I wanted to do anymore. So it sounds like you had identified something that you cared about, which was education and equity, but you still didn't exactly figure out like what. You hadn't decided that that's exactly. what you wanted to devote your life to. And I had already changed my major like a bazillion times. So I was like, I can't change my major to education like my junior year. So it's just like, all right, let's just roll with the punches. I'm on a scholarship. Let me at least get the degree and see where I can go from there. Um, but that's when I heard of Teach for America. I, well, I had already heard of them, but didn't know much. Everyone's just like, oh, yeah, Teach for America is like this great program to do this, this, and this. Um, so I ended up sitting down with a recruiter. Um, she told me a lot about the program and I think that that's when, again, the gears started turning like, oh, this is like reminding me a lot about what I was noticing in high school and like, why did I enter ninth grade with like, however hundred students and then by the time graduation came around, like 30% of my graduating class wasn't there. Had either dropped out, didn't finish school, like a lot of gang violence, a lot of teenage pregnancy. So it's just like, why is this happening? But it's not happening at the school down the street. Why is this not happening in Montgomery County? Why is this not happening in Anne Arundel County where there's a larger white or more diverse population? Um, so at that point I was just like, all right, this is what I wanna do. And the great thing about Teach for America is like you don't have to study education while you're in college. You can pretty much be any major. Um, so kind of started from scratch, learned the ins and outs of teaching, went to teacher boot camp in Philly that year. Um, first year of teaching was very rough. Um, I really don't even know how to explain it. It was, it, it, it tested my patience and I have a lot of patience. Um, but I was teaching first grade in Southeast DC and I know a thing about Southeast DC. Uh, my kids, they, they gave it to me. Um, but after that year, it's just like, you know what, I'm going to stick with this. I'm going to do it because Teach for America is a two-year commitment anyway. 
And then by the end of my second year, I felt a lot more confident. Like, I can do this, build relationships with families. Like, at that point, I was just like, this is what I really want to do. Did year three. Now I'm in year four. And at this point, I'm like 100% confident that education is what I want to stay in. And hopefully, in the years to come, looking at school leadership. What were some of your frustrations as a first-year teacher in Southeast D.C.? Um, For me... One, the lack of resources, especially thinking about Southeast in its own little quadrant. When people think about D.C. as a whole, you're like, oh, the nation's capital. It should ha-. You would think in your head that the nation's capital should probably have one of the best schools. Um, but then you think about the schools in Northwest that are doing very, very well and have all the money and get all the taxes from the mansions and the very big houses. And then you think about Southeast D.C. where the majority of the population there is low-income minority families. Um, And thinking about like, one, these students don't have the resources that like the students in Northwest have. Two, they don't have the qualified teachers because when when you do have teachers who are like classically trained in what they've been doing since like college, they wanna go to private schools, they wanna go to districts that are already doing well or schools that are already doing well. You rarely ever see a teacher who has like gone to school for teaching that is like, yeah, I wanna go to the hardest thing possible and teach the kids who are three years behind. Like you rarely ever see that, which is why so many schools in Southeast have brand new to teaching teachers from Teach for America, from urban teachers, these teaching alternative programs where they try to recruit people fresh out of college who didn't study education. But then again, the downfall with that is you now have a school full of brand new to teaching teachers who are very inexperienced. And like they're very bright students, like people who go through Teach for America, Urban Teachers, all these other programs were like the top of their class, but just because you were the top of your class doesn't mean that you're also a very qualified teacher right and then you see that turnover rate super quick the two-year commitment with teach for america you see people who stay like me in the year three in the year four and then you have people who are out the door in a month and just like i can't do this that are out the door in a year or they do fulfill their two-year commitment and then as soon as they get that paper saying like your commitment is done they're done they're off to law school they're off to medical school and now they have something that looks really really good on a resume I can only imagine, you know, having to pair, like you said, the lack of resources and your job is to be a teacher, but you have to imagine that when you're in a place like Southeast DC, where most of the schools have students that are low income and come from broken homes or, you know, you're also a bit of a social worker too. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not just a teacher. You can't just teach a child who comes to school hungry every day or comes to school with a lack of proper clothing or proper, Mm -hmm. you know, supplies and, you know, all the things necessary to be a successful student. So I'm sure that contributes heavily to the turnover. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, what was the main reason that you were like, I've got to stick this out? Like all of those things weighing on you. But here you are, you decided to stick with it and say, no, this is, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I want to do. I think for me, like, one, I grew up in the area that these kids are at. Like, I grew up in Southeast D.C., which, again, is the reason why my family was like, nope, let's move to PG County. So the fact that, like, my family felt so compelled to, like, pick up everything that they had and move to a con- completely different state just to give me a better education says a lot about what that school system was like producing at that time and then for me like 
it like originally felt as this like sense of guilt. Like I felt like I ran away from it. And now I have the opportunity to like give back to an area that I originally left because I know how bad the school system was at that point. And like you said, like you're not just a teacher, you're a social worker, you're a nurse, you're a mom, you're a dad, you're a brother, you're a sister. And like those emotional connections really struck for me. I feel like there are a lot of teachers who are very great teachers, but are not emotionally connected to their students. Mm -hmm. So it would be very easy for them to be like, all right, I did my five years here. Let me go over here. I did five years here. Let me go over here. Like I'm so emotionally connected to my students that I don't see myself like leaving my school anytime soon. Like definitely want to plant like one thing in the classroom and then possibly doing school leadership at the same school because I feel like it's such a close-knit community of the students, of the parents, of the teachers, of the community members there. And you mentioned how your family was willing to move to an entirely new location just to give you what they thought would be a better education. Um, And you mentioned the difference between going to school where you teach Mm -hmm. and right in PG County. Mm-hmm. Um, how big of a impact do you think where you go to school has on success or potential mm-hmm. in the future? It has a huge impact. Like the saying that a zip code should not affect your education is 100% true, but it is true that where you live will affect nine times out of 10 your educational like upbringing. So I'm thinking about very affluent areas where it's super diverse and the median income is this high. They're going to have very great schools, which is going to pay off for those kids who are then going to go to college and then have kids who are then back in the same exact school system that they were in. And it's this continuous cycle of like, I went to a really good school. I went to college. I have kids. I raised them. They went to a really good school. They went to college and it doesn't end. But then when you think about like these zip codes where it is very low income, where it is on top of that, like majority minority populations, you have these families where like no one's gone to college. A lot of people have dropped out of high school. And then it's like when it's time for them to help their students with their homework, they don't know what to do because like they didn't make it that far in their schooling. You can tell that they really want to help. They just can't to a certain extent. And then it's like, it's much harder for them to make their way to college because, again, they're thinking about, like, what's going to be on, like, my dinner plate tonight? And do I have clean clothes to make it to school tomorrow and my uniform? And I have, like, three or four other siblings that I need to pick up. Now I haven't done my homework. I can't do this. I don't have time for extracurriculars. So when it is time to apply for college, their grades aren't high enough. Their schedules are too busy. They don't have any extracurriculars the thought of college isn't even instilled in their brain because they don't really know anyone who's gone to college. Mom and dad haven't gone to college. I was a first year, I was a first generation college student. And like, I couldn't go to them for advice. Like, hey, what did you do when you applied for college? Like, I couldn't get that from them. I had to like Google and search all of these things. But I feel like my place in the classroom is to be like that one person that kind of gets the gears running for kids early. So like, even if I've had kids who didn't have never stepped foot on a college campus and I make it my purpose every year that a field trip that we have is to college and we talk about college and what majors are so that like in first grade kids know what college is and they can like choose on their own whether or not that's something that they want to aspire to do versus like kids not even knowing what college is until they get like close to high school and then by that point 
it's too late because their GPAs look the way they do because it hasn't been a priority for them. Right, and then it's a cycle. It continues on. Mm-hmm. They do the same thing with their kids because you can only get so far, right? Exactly. When you have all these limitations and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. But you touched a little bit about, um, you know, having to juggle all these different roles as a teacher, not only being an educator, but being a therapist, being a mom, being a nurse. And now you've been tossed into the world of this gun debate and being handed on top of all of those things now you're in your your semi-police officer in the mm-hmm. classroom what are your thoughts on that i would never bring a gun into a classroom like i can't even fathom how people think that that is a good idea like yeah all these school shootings going on you know what's a very good idea bring more guns to school And I'm thinking to myself, like, what if a child accidentally gets their hands on a gun? Right, because they're crafty. What if there is a racist teacher out there? Like, there's thousands of racist teachers across this country, and they have a black student who, like, says something that they don't like or disobeys them, and they now go out their drawer, move apples out of the way, and pull out a Glock and was like, what's up? Like, I can't even fathom a country where, like, people will want to do that. And the fact that there are people who are like, yeah, give teachers guns. Like, use that to protect yourself instead of, like, going back and doubling down on these gun restrictions. Instead of saying, like, hey, like, actually, you probably shouldn't be buying a gun at 18. If you can't drink until you're 21, you probably should not be able to have something in your hand that lets you take the life of someone else at the age of 18. And then, like, with all the school shootings going on lately, it's been, like, young kids. And, like, one, should they have even had their hands on guns at that age? And two, what I've seen a lot lately um, is this idea of, like, mental instability. Mm -hmm. And it's like, where do you go, like, with that? Like, are you really mentally unstable? Are you just racist as fuck? Like, who knows? And you can't really know unless that person, like, tells you. Um, Or you can try your best to infer. But, like, I know me personally, I would never want to go in the classroom. Do not think it's a good idea. Yeah. Um, You talked about a lot of the ideas that people have come up with, like raising the age or more extensive background checks. Um, What has been implemented so far just in a response to what has happened in these schools lately. Have you noticed, or has the administration told you to change certain policies or practices that you are doing in the classroom? Mm -hmm. So my school in particular, um, just last two weeks ago, they sent us an email basically saying, with all the things going on around the country, we're gonna practice like our first lockdown drill. We've never done a lockdown like we have like mandated fire drills that we have to do every month that are random, that are surprised to the kids. But this is the first time that we've ever had a lockdown drill. Um, And I don't think it was originally on their agenda until these multiple school shootings just kept happening. Because when you go to school, that is not the place where you think something like that would happen. Like you would think there would be some type of like random event and you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. But, like, school, no one, like, thinks that, like, oh, this place where I'm sending my child is now somewhere where, like, I can get a call three hours later from a police officer saying, like, ma'am, I'm sorry to tell you, so-and-so and so-and-so. So, with all of that, like, my mind is just, like, are you serious? Like, what? 
Um, but when we come back from spring break, we're actually going to be practicing our first lockdown drill um, and doing it in a way that's authentic but doesn't scare the kids because we have little ones. We have pre-K through fourth grade. Um, and you, you, you do, I do think it's beneficial because we should practice, like, if something were to happen, like, I now feel as though I know what to do in that type of scenario, because if we hadn't practiced this, I would just try my best to protect my kids without, like, any systematic way of thinking, like, I should do this and block the door with this. So the fact that we get to practice that, I appreciate. Um, but the fact that we have to practice that is, I, like, it sucks Sad. so Sad. bad yeah. that I have to, like huddle 34 kids into a corner of a classroom and stack desks in front right. of a door and cover up the windows as if someone's going to come through and shoot children and people do it yeah um cnn published an article about teachers who say hey army teachers is a great idea and it works for us and we've actually been doing it so there's a school in arkansas and um they actually, their teachers go through training, um, and everyone from the janitor to the teacher to the principal could be one of these people. The janitor? The janitor. This is not limited (laughs) to the teacher. This is, like, this is school personnel. And so one of the things that they said that stuck out to me was that hiring one school resource officer would have cost the district $50,000 a year. The district spent $68,000 to train about 13 staff members for this program. So it goes back to these schools are saying, look, we don't have money. We don't have, and this was in Arkansas, like I said, and a lot of the other uh, examples that they point out out are in Utah, um, rural Texas, Mm -hmm. places where, let's be honest, the gun laws are are much uh, more lax in the first place, for starters. It's different (laughs) when we're talking about DC, which is a heavily populated, like urban city, and you know, you better a, not get caught with a gun in DC. Right, it has like, <laughs> different gun problem, if you will, than maybe Arkansas has. You know, but do you think that's an issue? I mean, going back to just the funding, do do all schools need to be able to fund uh, having a resource officer with, like you said, Prince George's County? We were talking about this; is huge. Mm-hmm. I can't even remember how many schools are in that county alone. To and I do believe that almost all of the high schools, for sure, do have resource officers or police officers or some type of security personnel. But um, what do we do in counties where people are just saying, look, I cannot afford to put an officer in here and pay him 50000 a year in the event that there is a school shooting at my school? Mm-hmm. I think, again, like that's where the pressure needs to be on, like, state and federal legislator like you doing that costs so much money and then we're thinking again like about it's not like oh all these school districts are rich like of course we all have a hundred thousand dollars to give away to train teachers on how to shoot other people yeah we have money to do that no again like we have schools that are like struggling to get paper on desk for students and now you want us to find money that we already don't have for resources to now train someone to shoot someone inside our school in case it ever happens like the thought process there for some people just i'm like what is going on in your brain that like spending more money that you don't have to train someone to shoot someone inside a school if it were to happen hypothetically instead of like one 
using that money to fund the resources in the classroom, and then two, doing things like sending letters, calling in and talking to the people in your state, in your county saying like, hey, y'all need to do something about this. Like that, that's free. Like I could roll up into like the Prince George's County like district office and like have a hundred people in there with me and just be like, hey, like we need to see this, this and this. And if they get that enough, like it's gonna, it's gonna be like, all right, like wait, this is obviously important to people and you'll see things change, which is why I love like the idea of the event March for Our Lives because it, it, it like publicity was there. Like now you have everyone talking about it. Now the pressure is being put on these state and county legislators who are like, all right, like people are calling me every day. People are sending me letters every day. And if I don't do something now, this ruins my chance of getting reelected. Now I need to say something. Now it's putting the pressure on them, which I think hopefully will start to get the gears turning for like some legislative action. But just to simply like, oh, yeah, let's get $60,000 and train a resource officer. I don't that's not going to work. Yeah. And just to kind of widen the scope a little bit, you were at the March March for Our Lives, yes. right? A lot of the people I talked to had concerns outside of just school shootings, right? Like, mm-hmm. this has happened in... It's, it's, like, hard to find... Name a place that it hasn't happened at mm-hmm. this point. Like, I talked to uh, a woman from Mexico who's, who had a neighbor who was shot by U.S. Border Patrol, and there are numerous cases of unarmed people, unarmed people of color being shot by police officers. Do you think that those kinds of issues are on the forefront enough? Like, are we talking about them enough in the wake of, like, Parkland and these other school shootings? I don't think that we were until Parkland. And this is a conversation that I've wanted to have for a really long time. um, Because now there's the debate of, why was there why is there so much attention and so much support around March for Our Lives? But when Black Lives Matter was doing almost the same exact thing, the support, the level of support wasn't there. But now you have a group of kids, most of them white, a majority white high school, now that like they're in the forefront of the media, you just see whiteness and it's just like, oh, well, yes, take my donation to do this and let's talk about this and let and it's now like one of the biggest single day rallies to ever happen, but like, why was that same attention not given to Black Lives Matter? Like, does someone need to go in and shoot up a kid, like a school versus a full of black and brown children, which hopefully will never happen, but like, would that get the same media attention as someone going in and shooting a school full of white children? And like, this clearly shows that like, when, like you see whiteness work, when you have all these white people in the face of the media, like what happened at that school was terrible. But what I do want to acknowledge those kids for is that they do acknowledge their privilege. Mm-hmm. Like they went on record and was like, hey, like, thank you for all of your support. But like when black people were saying the same exact thing, yeah, like y'all weren't giving them attention and that's not right. So I feel like to really get things going, like the people in power, like white people do at and at some capacity really have to back this because I mean like black people are there saying like you shot my unarmed father 
in the news for a day, then it's gone. You shot this person. You shot this person. This was unjustified. He just had a cell phone in his hand. She she just had a broken tail light. You shot her to death. But then when we look at these shooters, at these like mass school shootings, you like don't shoot to kill. You're like shooting to wound. You like, oh, I shot this person in the leg. We arrested him. Why is it that like on so many occasions that these shooters are coming out with like either they're not hurt at all or they have like these small injuries, but someone who has a cell phone in their hand that you mistaken for a gun gets shot 20 times. Like, there's a disconnect there where you're shooting to kill these people, and you're shooting to, like, injure these people, and then, like, we can give them a fair trial and see if they were sane, they might go to jail, we'll see. But this person, you didn't even give them a shot to speak their mind. It's just like, pow, 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 like, oh, wait, you're a black life, oh, okay, whatever. I mean, I would even add to that, also, I mean, the Pulse nightclub shooting that happened in Orlando, that also, um... It was in Florida, you know, it didn't get, it got the coverage, but it did not have the backing, it did not have this movement, there was not, so maybe not even just um, a race issue, but just marginalized, you mm-hmm. know, groups in general that have been silenced in many ways, or just, you know, their cry has fallen on deaf ears, mm-hmm. and now that there are, like you said, and, and not not only are they a group of uh predominantly white students they come from an affluent neighborhood Mm -hmm. the school that they attended is in a you know it's a small city but it's like the parents are you know it's it fits in many ways the idea of a perfect um so it's a perfect sample of the group you know it's exactly what needed and i do think that they did a good job at the march of being inclusive and making sure that the speakers were uh, talking about all things, not mm-hmm. just their shooting, not just their lives and their trauma, but the trauma of black women, the trauma of black men, the pro- trauma of children in Chicago. They had st- a student there from, mm-hmm. um, I can't remember what D.C. high school he attended, but from a D.C. high school. And I think that that was super important to show that unity, no matter where you stand on the issue on gun rights and, you know, mm-hmm. partisanship here and there, nor there. Um there were kids as young as 11 and as old as 18 and you know that were gay straight yellow black white you know curly whatever it was and i think that was really important to show on a national stage that when you have the attention of the nation that you use that to not only you know talk about yourself and you be the victim but to say yeah i was a victim but look at all these people over here now you know and i think that the march did a really good job of that honestly Mm -hmm. Yeah, and what that kind of just made me think of is Sandy Hook. You know, it was that kind of what you would think to be a group that would have caused a similar type of movement, but it also kind of reinforces what people have been saying about the kids being what's different this time. Like the fact that the students from the school were actually the ones who kind of spearheaded this entire thing and got the ball rolling on actually demanding some sort of action or change from legislators. So, Right, the victims were the ones with the voices. And, yeah. and Sandy Hook, I mean, it's, they, it's, it's hard to... Mm-hmm. It's hard to grieve a child at any point. I can, only, I can never even imagine what that's like, but especially the life of your six-year-old. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, the, I can't, that's... That was, that was almost too horrific to make 
to, to, to continue to make America watch. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, sometimes people want to turn it off because they can't. Like, you know, you cannot, you don't want to know that there's that much evil in the world. Mm-hmm. And I felt like with Sandy Hook, that was a pure case of that, where it was just like, I cannot know that there mm-hmm. was that much evil in a person to go into an elementary school because you see yeah. these little babies, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas high school, unfortunately, you know, they're seen as more as adults. And there was Columbine, which was familiar to this generation of power, really. Like, lawmakers mm-hmm. that are in Congress right now, they were alive and Columbine was their thing. So it wasn't this far-fetched exactly. idea where Sandy Hook was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who could ever do this? Right, like, how could that happen? For all the first-year teachers out there and people who may be considering becoming a teacher, I have seen a couple of Facebook posts from you of how you absolutely handled your students one way or another. Um, How do you manage kids in the classroom who might be a little more difficult, to put it politely? Mm -hmm. So for me, it's all about the relationships. Kids are not going to respect you if you have not taken the time out to build some type of relationship with them. Um, And for the majority of my kids, I feel like they're, because I'm like fairly young, and they're like fairly young. So I, I feel like they're older brother. So there's this fine line of like, they know when I'm in teacher mode, and I'm the authority figure in the classroom. And they know when I'm like in big brother mode, and we may be a little bit more chill and relax. I may crack a joke. I may get under their skin a little bit because they've gotten under my skin. But like the big thing is to build relationships with your students. And you have to do it in the most like authentic way possible you have to be you like people think that like oh these kids are so young like i can just fake it till i make it no kids will read you read you like an open book when you are being fake and they will let you know like you seem a little off is that really you like i've seen like six and seven year olds call out teachers who were like trying to fake front this personality that they were like super energetic or like super mean when they knew that that really wasn't them and I see a lot of first-year teachers fall into that trap like you hear like these sayings like oh you're not supposed to smile until November or December you have to be super stern the first couple of months and then you let it go after that but then that just really sets your class up to fail because now they just don't like your ass so at that point, it's just going to be even harder for you to try to build relationships. So I'm a very, my teaching philosophy is very tough love. Like, we're going to get what we have to get done. But when you disrespect me, we're going to have to handle that. And we're going to do it in a way that's like respectful. For like certain kids, I can do it by just like cracking a joke and the whole class laughs at them. And it's a wrap because you kind of see them laughing too. Like, dang, that was a good one. Yeah. And now the thing is over. But then there are other times where I'm like, okay, like you really said some messed up stuff to me or to another student. Like me and you need to step off to the corner and we need to talk about that. But what I've seen like teachers do sometimes is just like completely disregard it. Like they heard a kid say something that they knew they weren't supposed to say, but they're either too scared to approach that student because they don't want things to get uncomfortable or they don't know how to have that conversation in the first place. Um, I feel like I will credit like TFA and the coaches at my school for like training me into like having those conversations and finding fun ways to build relationships with students in a genuine and authentic way so that like half of the day we're well all the day we're learning but also while we're learning like we're having fun 
at the same time. And there are some moments where like me and some of my students may not see eye to eye, but that's not every day. Like it happens to everyone, no matter what your job is. And then the next day they're smiling at me, ready to give me a hug as if nothing ever happened. And then sometimes you just got to fry some little kids up. They say something, <laughs> I'm going to roast you in Bye front of the entire class. Prime example number one. I had a little girl say, oh, wow, Mr. Davian, your pants are so tight. Are you able to move in those? Mm-hmm. And I just stared and I got my thoughts together and I just looked at her. And words were about to come out of my mouth that I shouldn't have said. <laughs> so I paused and then I just looked. I took a deep breath and she was like, what, you have something else to say? This was a very sassy fourth grader. Um, And then (laughs) just like, it was a sign from God because it just happened at the same exact time. Someone calls her name. She turns her head and you know, she has one of those good old fashioned clip on buns. (laughs) She whipped her head again, being nosy, thinking someone was calling her name. (laughs) And I look on the floor and I'm just like, this is the perfect opportunity. And then I'm just like, I didn't even say anything. I just stared at her, then looked at the ground. She screams and jumps thinking that it's a rat. And I'm just like, honey. The next time you want to come for me or how tight my pants are, make sure that ponytail is clipped on a little bit tighter with no some way. more bobby pins. No. And she I couldn't even not. say anything. Like, she kind of stared at me with this, like, huge gapped mouth response. And then, like, after about four seconds, she started to laugh. I oh, picked wait. up her bum for her. I went to the classroom. We got some bobby pins. And I secured. <laughs> I secured Teacher that bun. I secured that bun. And it was not coming off yes. for the rest of the day. I, wait. So, to I clarify... You didn't touch it. It I fell off. I didn't touch. Okay, I'm sitting here thinking you smashed that little girl's butt off. Oh, no. She whipped that neck (laughs) a little too hard, and it was holding on with one bobby pin, hashtag poor choice. And I looked on the ground and was just like, this is the perfect opportunity to just teach you a lesson. Exactly. So, again, this whole system of tough love just works out perfectly. Tough love. That's the perfect way to describe it. I love that. Bet you won't do it again. All right. I love that. Trey, what made you pour your wine this week? Uh, what made me pour multiple glasses of wine this week was that I attended the March for Our Lives. I'm just going to talk about the five pieces of legislation that are being debated right now in Congress that could potentially serve as solutions for this gun debate, right? These are the things that are being talked about. So the first one, which was introduced by our beloved president, is arming the teachers, which has most people ringing the alarm. We've been through this too long. This is not the solution. <laughs> um, number two is called the Fix NICS 2017 Act, which would not actually make background checks stronger. It would just give incentives for the FBI to report the criminal history rather than change who could or could not buy a gun. Uh, Number three would be raising the age from 18 to 21 for purchasing semi-automatic weapons. So number four is a bill that President Trump has recently talked about supporting, which is the banning of bump stocks, which is the tool that was used in Las Vegas. Another, the final one, is called the lie and try, which would 
require the FBI to notify states when a person fails a background test so that they could be investigated and prosecuted. All right, we'll be on the lookout to see if any of that actually uh, passes. (laughs) (laughs) What made you pour your glass? What made me pour my glass is Kim Kardashian West and Clan. Kim Kardashian and Clan. Maybe clan isn't a good term to use. (laughs) Absolutely not. Kim Kardashian West and family. And posse and crew. I don't really care. Here's my thing with them. Kim Kardashian West and and Kanye West brought beautiful little North. And they all came for a trip to D.C. to attend the March for Our Lives be a part of a movement that was so much bigger than them and posted several pictures about it so on and so forth okay got it have you seen kim kardashian west social media queen okay well really beyonce is a queen let's never get that twisted but for for purposes of this point that i'm trying to drive home okay let's just let's just do this um post about Black Lives Matter movement. Nope. Post about unarmed black men being shot to death in their backyards. Nope. Post about women being dying in police custody. Nada. Talk about kids in the backseat of police cars in Baltimore, I don't know, just dying. Nah. No. We talked earlier about this march being... In part because of Parkland, and Parkland being a place that is predominantly white and affluent. And here comes Kim Kardashian West and, and Kanye out of the shadows of darkness. I will leave it to you guys to, to decide if that is by coincidence, or if Kim Kardashian West's base and, and her image is so um, heavily... Supported by people who may not care or be as passionate about the issues of people who are unarmed and black and die at the hands of police brutality. I don't really know. I'm not saying that she does or she doesn't. <laughs> I just wanted to bring it to everybody's attention. She just wanted y'all to know. That homegirl lives in L.A. She came across country mm-hmm. for March of our, for Our Lives. The, the march that was put on by a group of predominantly white students. The march that was promoted by a group of predominantly white students. I'm sorry, your child is a black woman, sweetie. Okay? Both Kim Kardashian. Children. I'm sorry, right, I forget about that little baby. He a cute little thing, too, but I forget about him. Your children are black, okay? Mm-hmm. You married black men. You, you, your, your son... I don't care how much money you has, have, it's, it's just as likely to be a victim of police brutality as every other black man walking around Baltimore and L.A. And I, I don't care how wealthy of a neighborhood you put your child in. And here's why it makes me mad. Because I believe that people shouldn't have to be involved in political debates. I am not a person who says you have to jump into every... I, I get that. Sure. I get that you have an image, you have a brand. I, I understand that and I support that. And I originally used to defend her and people like her by saying, it's a heated debate. I understand you got to make your coin if she doesn't want to jump into every single you know social issue that arises. Okay. However, you do not get to pick and choose. Mm-hmm. You do not get to come in on gun debate now. You do not get to decide that you want to attend the march that is backed by predominantly white, affluent 
children. You know what I mean? That to me, she has canceled. Okay, I really wasn't here for her before. The whole person but like, is canceled. My whole family, the whole family, family. Oh, take no. take the whole, take them all, take take Kanye, Tristan, and his little. Mm-mm, bye. Oh, Kanye Chloe. has been recycled like, over and let over me tell again. You something. We're gonna finally put they him in the trash. Always, they never. I know he can. Jesus. <laughs> I have a problem with that. I have a problem with the fact that you are able to speak out on things when it's a good look for you, mm-hmm. when your masses support it. Show your true colors. Stand up for something when no one else is standing up for it. You have a voice. You have that many millions of followers, plenty of young white women who you who we said this earlier. We need that backing to push these things over the edge. You could be that person and yet you use your line to sell them and not black women makeup i'm getting off topic here y'all i can go all day i'm just saying you should think about it she showed up made it a point instagrammed it but i haven't seen her at anything else haven't seen her post about anything else her and none of the sisters and chloe especially chloe has posted about other issues terrorist attacks overseas and this and that never once have they posted about a black man being shot in baltimore kanye west is from chicago chicago i'm sorry i can't so that's what made me pour pour the whole damn bottle (laughs) i needed more than a glass i was too through amen too through Okay. So that was what made me pour my bottle, guys. I'm sorry for my rant. I have no rebut. Amen. And on that note, thank you guys for listening. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, tune in in a couple of weeks. We'll yeah. have another episode. Be sure to check us out at morewinepodcast.com and on Instagram. At More Wine Podcast. And on Twitter if you're nasty. Oh, yeah. Get into these tweets. All two of them. So, uh, (laughs) yeah, we're going to get better. Clearly, we are. Uh, But stay tuned. And thanks for listening. Let us know what you think. And uh, drink more wine. Save water, drink wine.